you want to be president, that desire should disqualify you from the job. My husband and I say that all the time. Yes, you have to be crazy to want that job. Look at Obama's (laughs) hair. Hello, Rosie listeners, and we are back again with Dr. John McLarnon, as promised. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the American presidency, which is a course that he teaches that I did not have the privilege of taking, which was one of the reasons why I really wanted to ask him um, just some questions. I know many of you teach some part of the presidency, whether it's the beginning part, which is what I teach. Um, I teach Washington through Jackson. I know some of you teach American history, too, which is obviously going to be the later presidents or American government. Um, so I really wanted to get his opinion on on some questions, and I hope you enjoy it. So, Dr. McLaren, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. Awesome. Um, So, for the American presidency, just could you give us a brief summary of what's it about, and then what are the goals for the course itself? Okay. Well, we, in one semester, we cover the the presidency from Washington, actually from the the conception of a presidency, uh, right through. I typically don't go any further than Reagan. Anything Later than that, the historians have not really settled, you know, to where the, where the positions on you know, what kind of president Clinton was, or certainly Obama. That 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 stuff usually takes twenty five to fifty years. It'll be in flux, and and then there's kind of a consensus. Um, I don't cover every president. I couldn't sit here and tell you what Millard Fillmore did, besides running as a know nothing candidate when he lost. Uh, but there are eras in the presidency, and there are certain presidents that, that I focus on, starting actually with the debates at the Constitution about the nature of the presidency. Now, I, I always remember and I always mention to my students the, the quote from, oh, Lord, I forget who it was now, Elbridge Jerry or some, someone that said that the, you know, this, this idea of the presidency contains the fetus of monarchy. It was, people always talk about slavery and how hot the discussion was and debates about slavery and three-fifths rule and all that. The presidency was much more, much more uh, vehemently debated. Is it Should it be one person? Should we have a chief magistrate? Should it be three people? How do we pick this person? Uh, they certainly didn't want to leave it to the, the, the common voters in the states. But a lot of people were opposed to the Constitution because of the powers that the Constitution granted to the chief executive. And by contrast to today, the powers that somebody like a, a Washington or an Adams or a Jefferson exercise were, were relatively minimal. But I start at the beginning, and certainly Washington and Adams and the, and the problems uh, that those two people had both domestically and with foreign affairs uh, Thomas Jefferson, who, as great a founding father as he was, was a terrible president. And not only was he a terrible president, but well, you cover this, I'm sure, the election of 1800, when oh, he yes. was going to burn down all the churches. Of, <laughs> Children writhing on a pike. Exactly. <laughs> yes. um, you hear these refrains, and, and it's, it's already started with the, the current campaign about, well, why can't they focus on the issues? Let's talk about the issues. This is all personal attack, what the, the Clinton people called the, the politics of personal destruction. It's never been about the issues. Campaigns have never been about the issues. Look at 1824 with Jackson. Uh, it, it's always about personal attacks. But nonetheless, certainly up to Jefferson, uh, I deal a little bit with the, the 
the War of 1812, I like to point out to my students, you know, one of the war aims was the conquest of Canada, yeah. in case you were not aware yeah. of that. <laughs> and then Jackson. And, and, of course, Jackson today, a lot of people kind of poo-poo. And, well, that's old-fashioned history to, to have all this focus on Jackson. But Jackson's a very important person in, in American history. Mm-hmm. Um, between Jackson and Lincoln, there aren't a lot of notable, well, maybe James K. Polk with the, the Mexican War and what, what came of it. I don't know how much of it was his doing as far as uh, the progress of that war and what came out of it. But Abraham Lincoln. And then you have this, this whole long parade of nobodies. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the impeachment of Andrew Johnson. And you have Ulysses S. Grant, which was a terribly unfortunate presidency. But the presidency was not really a very powerful institution in the last 30 years or so of the 19th century. It was really Congress that, that held control. Uh, and you see that in just the nature of the people that were electing to the presidency. A lot of backdoor deals, a lot of people that never had any idea they'd ever be president. Yeah. That changes with Teddy Roosevelt, of course. Yeah. Uh, and Teddy Roosevelt, some people mark his... Uh, ascension to the presidency as the, the beginnings of the imperial presidency. Very powerful men, very powerful personalities mm-hmm. that are willing to just push and push and push, and they make themselves as much of an issue as any of the things they're dealing with. Uh, I do spend a lot of time with Rudolf Wilson. Probably, and I'm going to give away a little bit of my politics here, uh, Wilson and I don't understand why he continues to be ranked among the top four or five presidents in the history of the country. I think they do it because in his first term, there's a lot of progressive reform, some of what she's responsible for, some of it he just happened to be there for. But then in the second term with the, with the First World War, he became an incredibly repressive president with, with the Sedition Act and the, you know, the Espionage Act, jailing people. Just a terrible, terrible time a lot of people had in this country. I think over 300 publications were banned from the mails because they were seditious or or labeled as seditious by his postmaster general. And I do want to make sure the people, the students get an idea of the two Woodrow Wilsons that history talks about. During the 20s, I talk generally about the the politicians of the 20s. I love the the quote, and I don't remember who who made it, about uh, Warren G. Harding. An army of pompous phrases marching across the landscape in search of an idea. <laughs> and Coolidge, I have a funny little story about Coolidge. My, my daughter called me one day and she said her daughter had to do a book report on Calvin Coolidge and could I, what did I think about Coolidge? So, of course, I launched into this thing about him being a, whatever it was, conservative in New England or blah, 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 blah. And a couple of days later, I was talking to her, and I said, well, did you include any of that stuff? And she said, no, <laughs> but Jillian liked him because he had a raccoon that he walked every day, a pet raccoon that he walked every day. Now I talk, I mentioned the pet raccoon in my class. <laughs> Let's see. Of course, you get to FDR, and he's, he just towers over the 20th century, or at mm-hmm. least the first half of the 20th century. Uh, and I progressed through, um, of course, when we get to, to uh, the 20th century, that's really my field of specialty. So I can talk about Eisenhower, who has been rehabilitated, by the way, quite a bit. And he initially, his presidency was seen as nothing, as was Harry Truman. Harry Truman was a reviled man when he left office in 1953. He's now considered to be one of the better presidents of the 20th century. John Kennedy, who, for the life of me, I can't understand 
why have people have such devotion to him. I, I know that he was assassinated and that was unfortunate, but he didn't really get a whole lot done. Lyndon Johnson, despite the war, was a much more effective president, but the war destroyed him. Richard Nixon did a lot of good, and then along came Watergate. You know, a lot of this is just trying to the balance. Nixon equals Watergate. You know, Johnson equals either the Great Society or the Vietnam War, depending on your political leanings. But I try and present both sides of Lyndon Johnson and both sides of Richard Nixon. He did a ton. Of, people are shocked to, to learn that he was the guy who created, or during his administration uh, presidency, that the EPA came into existence. Johnson created the Great Society. Nixon funded it. Uh, but you can't get past Watergate. You just can't get past it. Um, Jerry Ford I don't spend much time with, but then he wasn't president for very long. Uh, Jimmy Carter, I talk somewhat about him, but his is a largely as good a, a former president as he has been. His, president was, his presidency was a failure, I think. And Ronald Reagan, I never understood until I went to graduate school the importance of Ronald Reagan because I was never really in love with his political ideas and his, his very, very conservative views. And I, I couldn't figure, well, what did he do? What did he do? But I came to realize that what he was was a cheerleader, you know, and that's important in a president. And that was part of Jimmy Carter's failure was getting on television and telling the country, we're in bad shape, you know. Where the, the, the word malaise crept into the language. Ronald Reagan, his message was positive all the time. And I guess that's what people want. They want, that's part of this reason that people are running around after Donald Trump because it's, it's a negative message, but he's talking about something that, that can be positive. Although I, I certainly am not equating Donald Trump with Ronald Reagan in that regard. In other regards, I am because. If you go back and read editorials from the Washington Post and New York Times in 1979 and 1980, the prospect of Ronald Reagan as president appalled. <laughs> a B-movie actor is going to be president of the United States. What was his big claim to fame before that? Bedtime for Bonzo. <laughs> <laughs> and now President Obama, perhaps future President Clinton are, you know, speaking, you know, about Ronald Reagan and comparing themselves favorably to what they did or what they will do to Ronald Reagan. It's just very strange. And actually, that's my second question is that we, one of our podcasts is about current events and with it being an election year, are there similar themes that you're already seeing with this election that you've seen throughout maybe all of American, the American presidency? Well, I think with, with Trump, it's that nobody, including the president, the current president, thinks that he's qualified to be president. You could take a very technical view and say he was born in this country and he's 35 years old. and He spent the last 15 years in this country, so he is qualified to be president. I don't know whether he is or not. I don't know whether somebody who was in the state Senate and then two years in the United States Senate is qualified to be president either. I think that if you have a certain amount of intelligence, you're going to be surrounded by so many people. Uh, yeah, you have the ability to control events to a degree, but to a degree, events are going to control you. So uh, Trump, I don't know. I, I don't know. I have to think that he's smarter than some of the remarkably dumb things he's said recently, but maybe not. 
I, I simply don't know. Is he qualified? I don't want to be the one to say yes or no, because Harry Truman certainly wasn't qualified in 1945 to be president. Everybody understood that. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who was a judge in Missouri and the product of one of the most corrupt political machines that that state has ever seen. Andrew Jackson, a murderer, a bigamist, a gambler. And what made this guy qualified? That he won the Battle of New Orleans and invaded Florida against the wishes of the <laughs> president? <laughs> what did the people of Philadelphia call him? The chieftain of the lower orders. Was he qualified to be president? So I, I'm... I just can't get that excited about the prospect of a Trump presidency one way or the other. I won't move to Canada uh, if he's elected. Hillary Clinton, she has tons of experience. I don't think that her, her record as Secretary of State is nearly as stellar as her, you know, her supporters would have you believe. And I, the, the prospect of another eight years of the Clintons... Uh, I mean, Bill Clinton did a lot of good things, despite his his, his personal shortcomings, uh, and the country, by and large, felt good about itself when he was president. Again, getting back to this idea of, of cheerleading, uh, the economy was in good shape, but there was also the steady diet of one scandal, one issue after another, and it's going to be the same if if Mrs. Clinton's elected president. That stuff's not going to end. It's only going to intensify. And I don't know whether I want to listen to it. I don't know which would be worse, listening to the drumbeat of people chasing after Hillary Clinton, trying to get her on something, or listening to some guy who clearly is most comfortable shooting from the hip and thinking about it later on. (laughs) But I think the country will survive regardless of whoever gets into office. I don't want the job. Oh, no, I was going to say that is I I think that's something you have to decide on when you're really young. And I would never in a million years want that job. I've always claimed that if you want to be president, that desire should disqualify you from the job. My husband and I say that all the time. Yes, you have to be crazy to want that job. Look at Obama's hair. Look at his hair. Oh, absolutely, in, in, yes. In 2009, when he was sworn into office, and look at him today. I was going to say, like Abe Lincoln, like all those pictures. My students oh. love looking at those pictures because it really is just like, look what stress does to you first and foremost. Lyndon and Johnson then, like, is probably the, oh, the, yeah. the most prime, the prime example, at least in the 20th century. He's a strong, virile man when he's taking the oath of office there on the airplane. And when he went on television in March of 68 and said he wasn't going to run again, He's a beaten man, yeah. mm-hmm. just a beaten man. Yeah. So I, I'm happy somebody wants to do it, but not, <laughs> not me. me. Nope, <laughs> not me either. I don't think anybody would uh, <laughs> would want me to be either. Um, so, and you kind of mentioned this already. Do you think that it's wrong that there are certain presidents that we just kind of skim over? Like, for example, I spent a lot of time talking about Washington and Adams and Jefferson mm-hmm. and then uh, Madison, Monroe, we spend maybe like two or three days. Like, is that wrong to do? Or do you think every president deserves at least a similar amount of time and some well, deserve more? <laughs> it's just like I said before, when we we're talking about students coming here. You have to time management. Oh, yeah. You only have to have so you only have so many hours in class and you have so many presidents and some are just simply less important in what happened or what they did. I mentioned Miller Fillmore. What did he do? What did John Tyler do besides be called your accidency, you know, <laughs> or his accidency? Um, no, I don't think it's unfair. I think I think there are some presidents who 
for whatever reason, and it may be uh, the force of their personalities or they're the victim of circumstances or circumstances conspire to put them in a position where they have to make decisions that are monumental decisions. With Andrew Jackson, nullification and the bank war and Indian removal, you know, they are big issues. And this is still kind of the formative period in the republic. So we're not quite clear about uh, the the Supreme Court being the final word in things. This idea of judicial review has not been settled yet. Uh, you have to talk about Jackson. You have to talk about Teddy Roosevelt because of the, the initiation of the progressive era and the progressive reforms. Somebody who teaches the presidency and just skims over Franklin Roosevelt, they don't deserve to be teaching the presidency. On the other hand, what exactly did Warren Harding do besides play drink during Prohibition and, and play cards in the White House and allow his underlings to rob the country blind? It's worth mentioning, but you can't spend the kind of time with a Harding that you can with Roosevelt. And even people that were in for two terms, uh, Ulysses Grant, it just, it would be nice by the way, I've had people try to write papers on Grant's presidency. There's not a lot oh, really? out there to mm -hmm. base papers on. His time as a general in the Civil War, tons, mm -hmm. but not as president. Mm -hmm. um, so, no, you, you, have to, you have to pick and choose, and uh, you make a decision. Sometimes your decision might be different than someone else's. Um, and as I said before, I, I try with the ones that I do pick to balance the good and the bad. Um, you know, Harry Truman did a lot of things. He des desegregated the armed forces, but he also initiated the witch hunt in Washington looking for communists with a, a loyalty mm -hmm. oaths and whatnot. Um, I love that idea, though, of the good and the bad. That's such a, an interesting way, I think, of looking at it and really getting the kids to think, and that's obviously what we want them to do at the end. <laughs> And then you assign them, okay, you're in the next debate, you are going to defend Bill Clinton. And in the next debate, you're going to prosecute Bill Clinton because he was one of the ones that was impeached. Mm -hmm. And don't allow them the choice of which side to be on. Mm -hmm. And then let, let them research and find out for themselves. Mm -hmm. I've had any number of students who, you know, I used to, in fact, I still do if we have time, I'll say, well, had you had the opportunity to pick which side of this debate, which one would you, which side would you be on? And any number of times students will say, well, before I started researching, I would have been here. Mm -hmm. But after I started reading about it, I'm not so sure that I don't want to be over here, which is... That's great. That's what teaching is all about. Absolutely. So what do you think is the most important power that presidents have taken on since Washington? And which presidents articulate that power the most? Well... Oh boy, that's a that's a difficult question. I would say now it's in the Constitution, but what the the writers of the Constitution would have called the power of the negative, veto power. Now, Washington used it twice, and from Washington through Monroe, the belief was you vetoed something when you thought it was unconstitutional, not because you simply didn't like it. Jackson comes along and issues more vetoes than the first six presidents put together. And ever since then, you know, it really has been an indication of the personal preferences of the person in office. So I think that's an incredibly, incredibly powerful tool that presidents have used. Um, unfortunately, in more recent years, 
war-making power. Uh, the Congress has abrogated its constitutional power to declare war and turned it over to the president. The last time we declared war was World War II. And where have we been since then? Well, we've been in Korea, we've been in Vietnam, we're in Grenada, we, we're all over the place. Iraq, Afghanistan, we haven't declared war. Congress has just said, okay, Mr. President, you want to do it? We think uh, it sounds like you have a reasonable argument. Go ahead. And they've just, as I say, they, they've just fallen down on the job and given the president that power. That's scary. That kind of power is mm -hmm. scary. And I think the, there have been a couple instances in, with, with the current president where he's been accused of overreaching, but the reason he's been accused of overreaching is because presidents since since Reagan have overreached and half the time gotten away with it. But and, and a lot of times, if you're talking about the EPA and regulations and whatnot, fine, you can bicker about that. But when you're sending people off to potentially die, it should be more than one guy making that decision. That's what the writers of the Constitution thought. Mm -hmm. uh, but we don't do it anymore. And I don't know whether it's because they're afraid they won't get reelected if they vote for a declaration of war or with the current situation, we're quite not quite sure who we declare war on. Mm -hmm. You know, this tradition that well, it's another country that you declare war on. Well, now we're not. It's a new kind of enemy, but maybe that should be rethought. Uh, I don't know how it would go over <laughs> to have a declaration of war on Islam. <laughs> Probably not too well. <laughs> but yeah, the veto and making war. One, the Constitution gave the president. The other one, it certainly did not. <laughs> so what about vice presidents then? I mean, I spend time on Adams and Jefferson, obviously, because they're important vice presidents. And then after that, uh, it's going to drop off. Like, should we spend more time on them? or In the election <laughs> of 1912, which is one of the seminal elections in American history, and, and there's five or six guys running. And I, I don't remember which vice presidential candidate it was. It wasn't one of the major parties, but he was making a speech somewhere. And he said, uh, I, I met a mother the other day, and she had two sons. One went off to the service. The other was elected vice president. I never heard from either one ever again. <laughs> it's a curious thing. It's the only person in Washington who doesn't owe his, uh, the only person in the executive branch that doesn't some way owe his job to the president. He's elected. So he can say what he wants, or she can say what he wants. He can't be fired. And yet it's also, like John Nance Garner said, not worth a warm pitcher of spit because he doesn't have any power unless the president you know, gets sick or dies in office. So I spend... Now, people want to say that Joe Biden's been different, and quite honestly, for the first two years, perhaps, of Obama's administration, it wasn't clear to me who the Secretary of State was. Biden was doing a whole lot of, as far as foreign affairs was, going, was concerned. But then Biden had how many years experience? He was in the Senate before he was 30 years old. Uh, but by and large, I don't spend any time on them at all. I, I, I mentioned Thomas Eagleton, but only because of that horrible mess in 1972 with the Democrats. And, of course, if a, somebody like Harry Truman 
becomes president, uh, then you might want to explain how it was that he became the vice president only in Roosevelt's fourth term. And I do disabuse people of the idea that the vice presidency is a stepping stone to the presidency. It rarely is. (laughs) Nowadays, yeah. But other than that, it's, like I say, never heard from him again. (laughs) (laughs) I like that I'm going to use that this year. (laughs) So after my, so I teach the Constitution and then we move into the presidents. Mm -hmm. Um, So after that Constitution unit, um, we very rarely talk about Congress or the Supreme Court. They come up at certain points, but, you know, not in their entirety. Do you think that there's a better way to show a balance of power between all the branches of the government while teaching history? Or are the actions of the president really the most important? Well, he's obviously the single most important person and most prominent person in the federal government. Uh, and But I think that there has that. that Traditionally, there's been a lot of emphasis paid to, say, John Marshall, the architect of the modern court. On the other hand, the court did not have this absolute power to to settle things definitively until he took it, because that's not in the Constitution. There's no, you know, the Supreme Court isn't necessarily, doesn't the Constitution say, this is the last word. Jackson thought it was Executive review should be other people thought congressional review. Um, the problem with both the court and the con- and the con- yeah, the Congress uh, is unless you have a powerful man like a marshal, there's no one person to identify. You have someone like a, a um, Oliver Wendell Holmes, who's not the chief justice, but such a towering intellect that you can you can focus on him for a certain amount or um, Earl Warren, because the the direction he led the court in. With the Congress, unless you're going to get into the careers of some congressional leaders, and there have been someone, some who have been incredibly powerful in their time, Joe Cannon or uh, who's James G. Blaine from, uh, you know, Continental Liar from the state of Maine. Oh. That was... Yeah, <laughs> But there's just so many of them, mm-hmm. you know. So congressional leaders, it's difficult to focus on them. You can focus on the Congress itself, but I don't think that students are going to get much out of, of, of talking about this amorphous group. You know, it's just like today. How many people in Congress can you name other than people from your own state? And I have a lot of students who can't do that. Um, the same three or four names come up all the time, but uh, I, I just think that, that it's easier, it's more digestible uh, to have this emphasis on the president because he is, you know, uh, he's the chief executive. Harry Truman said the buck stops with him, uh, and so the focus really should be on him. I've never seen a course about the history of the American Congress. I don't know whether anybody teaches one, it probably does somewhere. Um, more probably some political science where you talk about the actual mechanics of governing. Mm-hmm. Now we do have we have something here called uh, well, Constitution Day in the, in the fall, mm-hmm. and the United States House of Representatives has a thing called Congress to Campus, and they send out teams of former congressmen, one Republican, one Democrat, and if you invite them, they'll come to campus for two days, and they'll come into your classrooms. They 
talk a little bit about their careers and they answer questions about either their careers or the mechanics of getting things done. And it's incredibly enlightening mm-hmm. as far as a bit of a focus on the Congress and you don't know who you're going to get. Mm. You know, we had a, a guy one time who was at the Nuremberg trials. He had Harry Truman, helped Harry Truman edit his memoirs. He was attorney general for West Virginia. He wrote the book, A Bridge Too Far, you know, that became a movie. Yeah. About second, this guy was incredibly fascinating. Two years later, we have a guy that was the lead guitarist for Orleans. Oh. <laughs> so they're all over the map. Yeah. But they're interesting, and in that for that time, the focus shifts away, clearly away from the presidency. Uh, but I think you just get, whether you want to or not, you can kind of drag back to the presidency because he's the guy who's in the papers all the time, not Joe Pitts. I must look up this Congress to <laughs> campus. I will say that now. I'm like, it's ooh, great. I gotta it's look fabulous. that up. I wonder if they'll. It's absolutely fabulous. Oh, I bet. Um, we just don't know who we're going to get. Um, but they're great, and of course, uh, students being students, a lot of them will take. They don't warm up to the task of asking questions till there's 15 minutes left in the in the yeah. class <laughs> session, and then it's too late. Well, and I know I don't know if you want to give away your politics at all, so you don't have to answer this one if you don't want to. Who is your favorite president, and why? Oh boy, that's a good question. I would have to say Harry Truman. And it's not because of his politics. It's like um, my favorite candidate in this current round of presidential campaigning is Bernie, Bernie Sanders. Not because I agree with him politically. I certainly don't uh, in a lot of ways. But I think he's honest. And I think Harry Truman was honest. And I don't think I can say that about anybody else who held the White House uh, or who's running for the White House currently. Um, and I know a lot of people would say, I'd rather have a competent crook than, a, than an honest boob. Uh, but Harry Truman, he, to my knowledge, he didn't lie about things. As great as FDR was, he didn't always tell the truth. Uh, maybe George Washington did. I don't know that much about George, and, and certainly... He's the guy who, he, he had to define the office. Uh, I think that Mr. Lincoln is not quite as honest as people talk about honest Abe as, as they would, would like to believe. Or I don't think he's honest as people believe. But I think Harry Truman, you know, right or wrong, he told people the way it was. And if you like it, fine. And if you don't like it, fine. And if you insult his daughter, he'll punch you in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's honesty for you. <laughs> so I guess, and that actually leads me into my last question. So how much time do you spend studying the personality of a president in your course? And what impact do you think that has on whether they're a success or a failure? Well, I think the personalities have a lot to do with success or failure because their personality will rub the right way or the wrong way, the people that he has to get or she has to get along with in the Congress to get things done. Um, there's a famous story about about uh, Franklin Roosevelt, and I don't re- I'll get the names wrong, but 
he's talking to Harold Ickes or one of his close advisors, and Harold's saying, Franklin, we're never going to get out of this depression unless we lower tariff rates. We have to drop these tariff rates. They're far too high. And he goes on and on, and Roosevelt says, oh, I agree with you completely. We have to do that. We're right, we'll have to do it. And Ickes leaves. And then in comes Raymond Mullet. Franklin, this depression is going to last as long as we have these low tariff rates. We're going to have to raise them. We're going to have to have protective tariffs. We're going to have to protect home industry. And, we're just, and he goes on and on and on. And Roosevelt says, Ray, you're right. That's exactly what we have to do. We have to raise tariff rates. And he leaves. And Eleanor is sitting there listening to all this. And she says, uh, Franklin, you just... Uh, he told Harold we had to lower interest rates, had to do it. And then he just told Ray we had to raise our tariff rates. And Franklin, Eleanor, you're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> that was his personality. You know, just whatever you needed to do to get people together to come to a compromise. Um, I think it's absolutely critical. If you have somebody who is going to stand on principle and be terribly rigid, you're looking at a failed politician. Witness this budget fiasco the first year of Wolf's administration. Now, it's very easy to say, well, these Republicans, they, 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 they. they wouldn't budge. But the governor wouldn't budge either. Nobody was budging. So nothing gets done. Um, so I think personality is remarkably important. And because of that, when I teach it, you know, all these little stories and these little things that are reflective of someone's personality, uh, yeah, you get a chuckle in class, but it, there's a point to it that, that you, you're telling people that, A, these people are human, B, this is the kind of personality they had, and perhaps that had something to do, if not a lot to do, with their success or lack of success as president. You know, Jimmy Carter was re reputedly a micromanager. He, his attention to detail was absolute, and he couldn't delegate enough to get anything done. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's legitimate to, to pay attention to personality, and I think that personality's got a lot to do with success or failure of someone in that office. Do you have any great resources that you could recommend to a teacher? Maybe like a newer thing, uh, maybe a book, a movie that you've seen recently that you'd say, hmm. yes, please check this out. That's that's a good question. There's so many books on the presidency or on presidents. If there's one book, and unfortunately it's not in print anymore, but if there was one book that I would recommend that anybody who wants to have an understanding of 20th century, the 20th century presidency and of Richard Nixon is a book by Theodore White called Breach of Faith. Now, Theodore White is the guy who wrote Making of a President 1960, the making of the whole series of Making mm -hmm. of a President. But Breach of Faith is a is a part history, part character study of Richard Nixon. It's very even-handed. Uh, he doesn't whitewash anything, but he's not out to just crucify Nixon. And it is just a remarkable, remarkable piece of reporting, of analysis, and I would recommend anybody who is interested in particularly post-Second World War presidency to get hold of that book, if you can find it. I have two copies. The paperback copy is falling apart, and the hardback copy I don't even bring here because I'll be 
if I do, I know I'll lend it out to somebody and I'll never see it again. <laughs> I was going to say, hold on to that if it's not in yeah. print anymore. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Anything we, anything we missed? Well, I'm sure there is. And, you know, you'll think of it when you leave and I'll think of it when I get home. But <laughs> well, we'll do this again. There's then. been hundreds we'll of years do, of presents. Yeah, I was going to say that we'll just do another. We'll do round three. <laughs> okay. All right. Awesome. So thank you so much. Oh, you're certainly welcome. Glad to be here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it on iTunes. It helps others find us. For more lesson plan ideas and resources, please check out rosytheriveting.com. Rosie the Riveting is produced by Seven Side Media.